welcome to this bonus edition of the Brain Candy Podcast. Happy holidays to you all. We wanted to share with you um, the audio from a live event we did with the University of Pittsburgh in November. This was our fifth year doing the event. It's usually live um, and people can come see it, but of course this year was very different. So we had a virtual event and a lot of brainiacs were able to join us, but we wanted to share the event anyway because we thought it was so important. We, The theme of the event is always for Pitt's International Week, and we're invited by the English Language Institute to come and talk about travel and the importance of learning about other cultures and thinking globally and acting locally, all of those good things. And this year we thought it was important for us to have somebody on that could talk about the pandemic and the consequences of not thinking globally and um, and the benefits of doing so. So we knew that we had to invite Larry Brilliant on. Larry was on Brain Candy years ago to talk about his book, Sometimes Brilliant. It's his memoir um, and talk about his life because he was among the people on a team that helped eradicate smallpox. He's had an incredible life. He's an epidemiologist and also, you know, a hippy-dippy who's best friends with Wavy Gravy. I mean, come on. This guy is totally fascinating. But now this year has brought him back into the limelight because he's an important part of the coronavirus um, response. And his experience uh, working on smallpox and, you know, his expertise made him the perfect person to talk about what's going on and all of his thoughts on everything. So we just so enjoyed our conversation with him and we wanted to share this event with all of you. We are so thankful that the University of Pittsburgh has us come back each year. It's such a fun event and this year seemed more important than than ever before. Um, because as we all sit in our homes, we still have to think globally. So we hope you enjoy this bonus episode with our special guest, Larry Brilliant. And maybe you can learn a little thing or two about the pandemic and Larry's amazing life. So remember uh, to follow him on social if you if you um, are interested, Larry Brilliant. And thank you guys so much for all the support that you've given us throughout 2020. And we hope that we have provided you with some levity and some escape during a very difficult year for many people. So thank you all so much. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Now please enjoy our event at the University of Pittsburgh with guest Larry Brilliant. Yay. Thank you. Thanks, Rob. You're welcome. Thank Hello, you. Hello, friends. <laughs> He's so, you know formal and official and we're like hey guys <laughs> we're here yeah, you know you need a little of both i um, wanted to thank rob for organizing this again i know it was difficult um because of the digital nature of it but thank you to Pitt for having us this is our fifth year thank you to rob for organizing it thank you to usis as he said who facilitates it, and of course, um, our guest today, Larry Brilliant. Thank you to him. Um, Sarah, can you believe they keep asking us back? I know. I love it. <laughs> well, They don't even learn their lesson. Uh, I don't know if you can say don't even learn their lesson. More like, um, uh, <laughs> I don't know if we'll ever run out of stuff to talk, stop talking about on this subject. Yeah, I mean, 
for real. It's kind of our passion project. Yes. And it's extra special tonight because it's election eve. I know. How are it you feels- feeling? Um, I'm like cautiously hopeful and optimistic. I think it's the best thing I can do. Um, last year, I rem- not last year, four years ago, I remember um, I very nervously uh, uh, dove into a project on a um, weaver's loom that I had bought. And I was like, I remember that. very anxious. And like, when I get anxious, I need to like do a project. So I bought this like little, I don't know, DIY project weaver's loom. And I loomed or weaved or whatever the, <laughs> the What's word the is. Verb, right? Left? I don't even know what it is. A, I, that's probably not even a word. A, a little like tapestry. Um, and I, it's so cute, but I can't bring myself to hang it up because it just reminds me of, um, you know, losses. The outcome. And you didn't get the outcome you were hoping for. Uh, I did from the piece of the, the, the item the I was loom. looming, but I did not from the election. So yes. this year I've been doing some gardening. So I'm thinking gardening is better. I don't know why. It's like nature's always the answer. Nature's always the answer. Oh, always. Absolutely. Well, we were enjoying during sort of like the minutes leading up to Rob's introduction, seeing where everybody that's here, you know, here in the chat is watching from. That's been really fun. There's a lot of international people. It's great. At this event, which is like super cool because normally we're in person at University of Pittsburgh and we do have some people that drive in to enjoy it, but it's really fun to see people from all over the world. Heather says she's sending us good luck charms from the U.S. or to the U.S. from Canada for the results. So I like I that. I almost feel like Canadians are equally invested in this, and I'm not sure why, but I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, our, the, I am this sure. This land why. is your land, this land is my <laughs> land. So I feel like, right. I mean, we got to be protecting right. all of our natural resources, and that's like a really important part of it. I thought it would be fun if we sort of began reminiscing about times past this is our fifth year and some of it i've blocked out apparently but like our first year sarah and i were in this humongous auditorium and like four people showed up and most of them were related to me Um, (laughs) yes but the show must must go on and we kept going and it was really fun we had a great night and then the second year was the chinese dragon that your son always reminds us of because that was he I know, really thing. loved that he got to feed the dragon cabbage and like they told him at the event that it was um good luck and that it would bring us i think they said financial yes. reward yes and he really counted on that <laughs> that we were gonna like make it rain <laughs> and i don't know if we did but he was really believing in that mm. then the third year you didn't make it no, nope, busy on a challenge. I love that one because we had Bill Eisler, who were was Fred Rogers' best friend, and he That's runs the fam- so um, I, I think it's Family Communications, which is Fred Rogers, or maybe it's now called the Fred Rogers something company, mm-hmm. but he still runs that, and that was really special. Yeah, and then. The fourth year was last year, and that was about food and film. And what's not to love about that? Yes. 
And so this year was weird because 2020 is freaking weird. And we were like, how are we going to do this? And that's why I think Sarah and I both agreed that Larry was such a perfect choice. I mean, perfect. I mean, he's an epidemiologist and also just like a world traveler, hippie. Oh, my gosh. He embodies a global mindset. Yeah. Don't you think? Mm-hmm. Like, he, he, everybody is unique and different, but all equal and all the same. And I just see, like, he's just such a special person. He is a special person, but he's so humble. Yes. He's done all this amazing stuff, but he acts like... He doesn't know what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, and like, like, he, like, he's excited to come on here. I'm like, quick, come on. Yeah, nobody we're tell him. Excited. Yeah. We're excited <laughs> to have you here. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Hello. So Sarah and I spoke to him earlier today and then we broke um, the interview up into clips so that we could show you. And the first clip that I'm going to show you let me see. Oh, this was when, if you've seen Larry Brilliant's um, TED Talk, he, in 2006, did a TED Talk in which he predicted that we were due for a global pandemic. And during the TED Talk, he put up a slide to show how it would spread which is, if you watch it now, is really disturbing mm-hmm. because it's exactly how it did spread. Um, but it's also helpful to know that people like him knew it was coming and can kind of handle it maybe better than politicians and people that yeah. have an agenda. Yes. I mean, they've been telling us for ages that you need to prepare and you need to get ready. Mm-hmm. Um, But just to give you some more background about him, he, like I said, is a doctor. He worked for the World Health Organization, and he was on the um, panel that helped eradicate smallpox. And I think that when people hear that, they think it was like 50 years years ago. Yeah. and Right. They don't. Right. For sure, Suze. It's not. I was like. Smallpox? Because it sounds like dysentery or something right, from, yes. like, what's that game that everyone plays? Oregon Trail. Yes, Oregon yes. Trail. <laughs> it sounds like it's You've that. you got Yes. You've got contracted smallpox. But millions of humans died from smallpox mm-hmm. for centuries. Yes. Until they eradicated it by just basically going door to door. And vaccinating everyone. Yeah, getting everybody sort of isolated and educated and then ultimately 
um, where we are today, where nobody mm-hmm. gets smallpox, thank God. Mm-hmm. So it was a real treat to be able to speak to him about what's going on now, because a lot of people are frightened mm-hmm. and sad, and he, like, isn't. Right. <laughs> you know, well, and you'll hear when he talks, and maybe a little bit uh, uh, about why that is, like. Yes. Okay. Let's start. Let me see. And this could go terribly wrong. I mean, technology is my worst enemy. I'm going to try to share the first clip. Oh, I see. I'm going to have to rewind it. Bear with me momentarily. Mm -hmm. Okay. Tell me if you can't hear it, Sarah. Um, I was refreshing my memory. We spoke maybe four years ago when your book came out, Sometimes Brilliant, which everyone should read. And um, so much has changed since then. And I was refreshing my memory with your TED Talk. And that was years and years ago. And you were basically prophesying what has happened this year. How, what a weird thing, though, to be right in, about something tragic. How did that feel? Well, you don't get any credit uh, for predicting a pandemic if you're an epidemiologist. Uh, I think uh, uh, every epidemiologist in hindsight looks prescient. Uh, we've been saying that this was coming for decades um, because every year two or three uh, zoonoses, uh, animal viruses, spill over from animals to humans. And if I did a kind of a catechism of the names, Ebola, SARS, MERS, H1N1, swine flu, bird flu, uh, Zika, HIV, AIDS, West Nile. I could keep going. <clears throat> They're old friends, aren't they? You're familiar with them. Mm-hmm. But uh, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, they didn't exist. They were viruses of bats or chimpanzees or, or other animals. And they jumped from animals to humans. Uh, we probably will see an increasing number over the coming years. Perhaps it will become three to five a year. <clears throat> Excuse me. Non, non-COVID cough. Important. <clears throat> Larry. Epidemiologists must put that asterisk on every cough. Um, but <laughs> this cadence, three to five new viruses jumping from animals to humans, any one of which could uh, have the attributes to become an epidemic or a pandemic. And, <clears throat> and that's what I was, uh, I think you're talking about the, the TED Talk, um, uh, the TED Prize Talk. <clears throat> and that's what I was talking about. We did a movie, uh, Contagion. Um, oh, yes. Thing. I was the science advisor. Uh, but again, no credit for prescience when the, the science is so clear and obvious. The, if there's going to be a grading system, it's going to be a bunch of demerits for the politicians who didn't listen. Mm. It will be, uh, for all of us, I think, uh, we could, I, I don't know, forecast, foresee, predict uh, that the virus would jump <clears throat> and that one or more of them would be bad. What no one could predict is an incompetent presidency. No one could predict is a political malpractice and malfeasance in dealing with this outbreak. Denial, um, even today on the eve of the election, as we 
test the limits of 100,000 cases a day in the United States. As uh, Britain, the UK, England are on the eve of closing down for the second time, a second lockdown, because they've been advised that there will be no hospital beds adequate uh, in the NA National Health System hospital, National Health Service hospitals. And we're seeing kind of an echo of that in um, El Paso, in Utah. And in fact, what we're seeing in Utah is, you know, kind of like a, a small echo of what we saw in Manhattan and Detroit when we saw these refrigerator trucks parked outside of hospitals to put bodies in because there was no more room in the hospitals. Um, how can people uh, underplay it, deny it, not resource it, not respond to it? That's what we didn't predict. Shame on us. Uh, we didn't predict that part of it. Oh, my gosh. I am just it's terrifying to think about that. He's right there with all of that. And he knew. Way ahead of time. One second. Here we go. Sorry. Um, That's what's really freaky to me when I watched his TED talk, because I had watched it in preparation for my interview with him four years ago. And it's not like I didn't think it could be true. It's just like, well, what am I going to do about it? If, if there's a pandemic looming, I'm just a, just a girl. Like, what am I going to do about it? But watching it now, I realize how they were all saying it. Yeah, let me see if I can find that link. And it feels like the problem isn't that we didn't know or even that we weren't unprepared. It's that there are a lot of political factors, and not just in the U.S., globally, um, that prevented swifter action. Because mm-hmm. I watched another interview he did where he, because in his TED Talk he said, the key to a pandemic is early detection, early response. Yeah. Oh. We And he says, we got the early detection. That was amazing in comparison to, I think he said SARS or maybe swine flu. What was once six months is now six weeks. That was great. But the swift response varied depending mm-hmm. on where you were. And it made all the difference. And a lot of that had to do with, you know, politics and, you know, it's complicated. And so that's the part that we really, as, you know, citizens of the world, couldn't have changed. But you think if only, right? If only. If only. Yeah. And I can only imagine what it was like for someone like Larry, who was like, Hello, everyone. Right. Well, that's what he says. Like, nobody wants to give you credit for uh, being the one to... Say the like, sky pre- is falling. Prevention. Nobody, nobody get... You don't get any awards for prevention. It's like, mm-mm. Yeah. It's too late. Yeah. Where is he located? Where does he live? He's in Northern California, like San okay. Francisco still. He's yeah, Mandy was wondering where he was located. All right, let's take a break for one second from the amazing Larry Brilliant since we're talking about the pandemic anyway, what I need to tell you is what's made my quarantine so much more enjoyable, which is getting those HelloFresh deliveries that we yak about all the time. 
It's so great. You get all the ingredients right to your door for yummy food that you're going to love. You don't have to stress about meal planning or grocery store trips that nobody wants to make these days. So you can enjoy your cooking and get dinner on the table in about 30 minutes or less. I would never steer you wrong about yummy food, people. Plus, it's super flexible. You can customize your order every week. You can change your delivery day, your food preferences. You can skip a week if you need to. They have stuff for vegetarians and pescatarians. And most importantly, it's just delicious. Um, And they have a deal for you guys. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 10BrainCandy and use code 10BrainCandy for 10 free meals, including free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash 10BrainCandy and use code 10BrainCandy for 10 free meals, including free shipping. You guys know how much we love HelloFresh and Green Chef. And they work together. So now we know why. They're in cahoots and they make delicious food. Give it a try. All right, back to Larry. Yeah. So, um, yeah, as I think... I forget if he said in that, did he say in that clip that he worked on Contagion or that he... Yes, he did. Yeah. Yes. He was a consultant on that film. And at the time they were trying to create this airborne virus that would be great for a film. Um, Luckily, COVID is far less deadly. Right. But I also think that's a double-edged sword because I think that prevents people from taking it more seriously. Absolutely. And because when I think about the things in that movie that really, I remember watching Contagion and and like finishing that movie and being like, okay, so now I'm basically an expert and work for the CDC. So let's look at the R not numbers and let's look at the rate of transmission. And basically <laughs> like, yes, I was like nuts with it. I was like, I'm an expert now, <laughs> but no, it was not good. But, uh, uh, it really, uh, to me, it showed that it, if you really looked at the numbers and looked at, at it's still real bad. And yeah. it's, it's, it's very close to the numbers that were terrifying in that movie. So, yeah. And Denise says she was also like that after watching the movie, so I'm not alone. I went around <laughs> like, okay. I think that's good, though, because then people have at least a framework yes. for mm-hmm. it. Um, okay, so yeah. the next clip I'll show you. And by the way, after we're done showing Larry's clips, Sarah and I have some other stuff that we want to share with you. So um, this, we just want to get the interview clips up for you. Okay, so the next clip, oh, this is fun. So in his TED Talk, he shares how for smallpox, they had to go door to door in India and get people to admit that they had smallpox or knew someone in their house with it, and then convince them to trust their expertise. So we wanted to find out how the heck you do that. And this is great because Luann asked what countries other than the U.S. have faced the same political division over, over a response, and he talks a little bit about that. Well, and as someone married to a British person and who's about to go into lock, you know, Britain's going back into lockdown, I think we know that the Western world is not doing a great job at the moment. Okay. Here we... Oh, let me find it. I know you might think, Susie's terrible at this. This is like me 
That's great. You're doing great. You're crushing it. Oh, and before you pr- press play, if you guys um, ha- are new to Zoom or are wondering how to change any of the settings or anything like that, you can see there's a little green bar at the top of your screen that says it should say you are viewing Susie Meister's screen. And next to view op- next to that should have a little uh, drop-down menu that says view options. And if you click that, you can change the uh, layout and you can change what you see. So if it's looking a little blurry, you can click down and just hit original size and it'll show you in uh, a more uh, like clearer view. Okay, here we go. Well, and I've been thinking so much about how people in your position um, are being undermined by certain politicians um, science and expertise is sort of under attack. And I was thinking about how when you were working on the smallpox um, pandemic, you had to go door to door to talk to people and convince them to isolate, et cetera. And I wondered how, because that was in India, and I'm wondering how did you build trust as a Western hippie I mean, which is what you were. Why did they even trust you? And maybe how could we accomplish that now when people are distrustful towards experts? I think the hippies were the most trusting. (laughs) I agree. Um, So it was really really hard in India, Um, not, not least of all because the vaccine that is used to prevent smallpox, which was the very first vaccine in history. Um, It's a a different virus that is given as a vaccine to protect you against smallpox. And the name of that virus is Vaccinia. The name Vaccinia, of course, led to all vaccines being called vaccines after that. But Vaccinia uh, etymologically means, it comes from the Latin vacus or cow, because it's cowpox. So the way you prevent smallpox is by giving someone a immunization with cowpox. However, in India, cows are venerated. And in order to make the vaccine, you had to kill cows. Oh, my gosh. Imagine uh, a righteous indignation and a huge anti-vax movement that began. In fact, I wish I had it to show you. uh, But when in uh, Edward Jenner devised the idea of the first vaccine in the late 1790s, uh, the anti-vax uh, uh, movement, I guess, began five or six years later, the moment there was a vaccine that was an anti-vax movement. And there's a great political cartoon from 1805, that's how long ago it was, showing a group of people and they had bovine characteristics and bulls jumping out of their nose and, and arms that give birth to cows because that's what they thought would happen if you take a disease of cows, take the pus from a, a pox lesion and put it into somebody's arms. They thought it would turn into cows, uh, which is what began the anti-vax movement. So, no, it wasn't easy to wow. the population um, in India. It took a long time. Um, and the government had uh, as many people as, as Trump, as much as done, Donald Trump denies the existence of COVID, so too there were government officials who denied the existence of smallpox as a problem. But there were many more wonderful Indian officials, Muni Inder Dev Sharma, we called him M.I.D. Sharma, 
who was a, a saintly doctor uh, at the head of the Indian program. And we also had some amazing saintly doctors on our side, too. Bill Fagey, who I'm sure you've heard of now, who was the head of CDC. He wrote the famous letter uh, three weeks ago mm-hmm. advising Redfield to resign. So we had wonderful people, but it took a long time, and it was not easy. And um, every every vaccine campaign, the polio eradication program, has had a huge amount of anti-vax. Every vaccination campaign uh, encounters resistance, anti-vax movements, um, and it's understandable because you're dealing with an odorless, tasteless, invisible virus. That how how could that little tiny thing cause the disease this this bad? Why should I risk my child, my mother, my brother to to something that I don't know? Um, I think we need to be understanding uh, and compassionate, not be arrogant of, of people who have uh, legitimate fears of, of will a vaccination or any medication do more harm than good. And never has that uh, been tested as much as it will be when we have eight, nine, ten vaccines against COVID that are all nearing a finish line. I'm not going to say the finish line uh, because we will we'll get what's called an efficacy signal. We will know that these vaccines protect you against COVID. We are getting confusing safety signals whether these vaccines are safe. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's one thing to say that in giving it to 15,000 people, it appears to be safe. It's another thing to say that when we give it to 6 billion people, it will still remain without... Oh, my God. <laughs> no pressure! <laughs> but so here's what I don't get oh. about you. You seem like unflappable you don't ever seem hopeless like the rest of us who like want to cry every day i really do want your tips and advice on how you maintain optimism and steadiness as you seem to at least um you know what i used to say before trump because i think that's like uh, remember the old days when there'd be diving contests? You, you know, somebody would have to do a dive, and uh, they said it had a seven or eight level of difficulty. Mm-hmm. Um, I think staying calm most years is a seven or eight level difficulty. I think in the era of Trump, maintaining calm is a 25 level difficulty. Yes. <laughs> but Thanks I, for saying that. That yeah. makes us, <laughs> that makes me feel better that, so I feel that we all kind of feel that. So yeah. it's nice to know that the academics agree. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. How do you like that? Oh, you're muted. My beloved. There There we go. go. Oh, man. 
It really is interesting to know that we've had anti-vaxxers for forever. I honestly but did not know I that. Had, I had no idea. And that really shows that, that change is going to be hard for some people. Well, and, and he's right um, that we shouldn't be arrogant because if you have a legitimate concern that... Because that's my impulse is to be like, you're so stupid. Come on. Mm -hmm. But it's scary. Mm -hmm. And people deal with that in different ways. Mm -hmm. And so for some people, it's like, well, I'm not going to get a vaccine. You know, that's I don't want to take the risk. Mm -hmm. Um, So to know that that's been going on forever was shocking. But Mm -hmm. also, as Sarah, you said, it's kind of heartening. Yeah, because it's like, okay, there's always, it's not anything new. There were always the people who were like, you know, it's so silly because I always thought that about, like, my mom would say that that with every single generation, the generation before it hates their music. That, like, <laughs> that's never going to stop. No matter what, you're always going to be like, ah, oh, turn that down. And then the kids are going to be like, if it's too loud, you're too old. And, like, that's... Nothing's changed. You know, the music can be different, but, yeah. Well, Sarah, on an episode, I don't even know when, long time ago, we talked about how, like, if you look at, let's say you look at um, skincare advertisement from the 60s. Right. You're like, oh, my God, I can't believe people believed that this face wash was going to make them look younger. But, like, when I see one now, I'm like, ooh, I need that face wash. But I feel like it's the same with this situation. When you look at, like, in 18-whatever, he said, where people think they're going to look like a cow if they get the vaccine. How different is that than thinking? It applies. Yeah, it's the same. Like, if you can look at the old-timey ones, you see the absurdity of it. Yep. And, you know, there was still the same snake oil salesman that there's still the same kind of, like, magic here all, like... Yeah. Well, because um, interesting. You know, uh, Jim Baker, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker from yes. the eighties, yes. of course. Yes. Famous evangelicals who were, you know, got caught up in a scandal, whatever. Well, I'm friends with Jay Baker, their son, and he is not like them at all, and really has had to deal with the trauma of being their child. Um, but. You know, his dad, Jim Baker, he's out of jail after all the stuff from the 80s. But now he's back on Christian television and he's selling, like, products to, like, combat COVID. And um, so you, I, when you just said snake oil, that <laughs> it made me that. think of it. Because it that. even if it's well-intentioned, um, it probably isn't going to cure COVID. Leave that job to Larry, please, and people who are like. But wasn't it interesting how, like, their religion, you know, the the sacred nature of cows cows. could prevent them from maybe getting this medicine? And I see it now. With yeah, and you know, and everything changes, but it stays the same. It does, and and because. I don't know if it's because I understand it less or because I understand Christianity more or what it is, but I can understand people being like, oh, no, cows are sacred. That's from a cow. Like, I can see the logic behind that. 
Yes. I don't agree with it, but I can absolutely yeah. agree with that. I sympathize. But that would be a terrible dilemma. Right here, uh, it, when it's very close to me, like in the situation right here, people are being like, oh, I don't want to wear a mask. I'm like, what, what? That's ridiculous. You have, like, you know, and yeah, I, so I, I think like, more compassion for yes. people. Like, are, I'm intolerant in a way, but I think we should be compassionate. Yes. When we were going out the other day, my mom was like, do you want me to wear a mask that isn't about Trump? <laughs> I, don't, I don't even care what it's about. Just wear it. That's I was like, that's very nice of you to ask me that. I appreciated that. Oh okay, wait. God. So the next clip. Okay, Sarah, you bring up to him the patterns of doubt, like you're saying now, how it was heartening to hear that. Uh, and then he talks about how he wants to know, like, us to spend more time thinking about how does this end? Let me share it. <clears throat> you know, in listening to, to hearing you talk about uh, smallpox and, and kind of the patterns that we've seen before, believe it or not, there's a little bit of that that has given me kind of some peace because you're telling me that, that we've had vaccine deniers, we've had governments that have said, no, we're, this is not a thing. And somehow the, the, you know, people like you have been able to educate people, able to, you know, get those vaccines out there and get the information out there. And so, like, maybe that gives, like, a little ray of hope for me that, ah, yeah, you know, the sound of that. deep breath, because it's sure a lot the same. You will... Uh- that we will toss COVID into the dustbin of history. Um, I don't think we've adequately asked ourselves, what does success look like? Uh, How does this end? I don't think that we've spent enough time uh, playing out the various scenarios. Does COVID, like four other coronaviruses before it, does it circulate and circulate and lose power and then go to the retirement home for coronaviruses? Right. Is what four previous coronaviruses have done. They are now colds. Every year when you get a cold, there's about a dozen viruses that circulate. About uh, three or four or five of them are rhinoviruses. And four of them are coronaviruses. They're sister or cousin or brother viruses of covid um, there were also two other really bad coronaviruses, SARS and MERS, that had death rates of 20% and 30% respectively that are coronaviruses. So you've got six other viruses in the family with characteristics that are the same in many ways, different in others. Uh, which one will COVID become and how can we help it become the one that goes away? Um, I think that pretty straightforward uh, for epidemiology. What's not straightforward is adding um, uh, the challenges to democracy and the rising, uh, the rise of the strong man, uh, the, the nationalism that has grown up in the shadow of 70 years of globalism, which has kept the world safe. Hmm. That's, I think, the undercurrent that Uh, At least more than the disease, that undercurrent of nationalism and the kind of uh, centrifugal forces that are pulling us apart 
I think that is a different kind of dis-ease. Mm-hmm. And when you put them both together, we may not be consciously saying, <clears throat> well, you know, 40% of my anxiety is right. coronavirus and 60% is politics. But, it, you know, I, I think that's why, you know, you go around when you talk to friends, you look in their eyes, you see the same thing that they see in your eyes. <laughs> Confusion, doubt, fear, anxiety. Mm. Marcus says he makes me feel safe. I agree. He, it really does make you feel a little better to hear him talk. Yeah, he's so well balanced and yeah. like not hysterical. Like, yeah, I have been. Well, I mean, well, because like I, uh, I watch Contagion once, and I know <laughs> you have to be dangerous. And he's like, mm, it was about me. Let me just put your mind at ease, and everything's okay. And yes, I wanted to know, Sarah. So Amber submitted this question to our Q and A, which you guys should do if um, you'd like us to answer anything um, during the broadcast. Mm. She said, "Do you think the change in presidents will have a big impact on COVID numbers in the U.S.?" Curious Canadian. What do you think, Sarah? I mean, I feel like it. 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 How can it not? I feel like just with the uh, seriousness that things are taken and just being able to practice like safe practices and, and close down if things need to be closed down and kind of follow what other countries are doing. You know, I feel like we need to be a little less uh, individualistic and a little more collective in these current times. I think it will be very difficult for people who are distrustful towards, um, medical professionals, politicians, Mm -hmm. um, any kind of system besides their church. So I think it would take a lot of collaboration with um, Mm -hmm. religious institutions to mobilize. I didn't even think about that. That, I think there's a lot of overlap there. Yes, there is. Mm -hmm. Gosh. But I sure hope so. I hope whoever wins that... There is a shift towards collective action rather than like every man for himself. Right. That's yeah. how it feels now. Because like every man for himself does not work on a pandemic. It doesn't work for a lot of stuff, but especially something that is that communicable, it spreads. I think it's so interesting though, as someone who studies religion that a lot of the folks who kind of are feeling like this is overblown and not that big of a deal and maybe even think it's a hoax are, as Larry said, because it's an invisible, odorless, blah, 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 are the same people who believe in something you can't see. I mean, that's what faith is. I never even really thought about that. So it's kind of like... Maybe you just have like a, a... pool like a well for like faith and once you've used all <laughs> yeah, that it's up, tapped out you, like it's tapped out you're like i can't have faith in anything else because i'm putting- like you believe some dude rose from the dead <laughs> blah 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 you get it yeah okay but ashley divine in our chat said you'd be surprised how many people in healthcare are convinced this will go away after the election tomorrow that it when, will go like, i hope it does 
that it will go away after the election. Well, because that's what some people think this is a political situation. Correct. Yeah. Um, But But it's like, no, the amount of, you know, I see somebody like Larry and I, I, I couldn't imagine when you have somebody who's like been on those front lines and has gone door to door and seen like what happens when millions die from smallpox or, you know, whatever it is that that would just be so frustrating. Like that wouldn't even be the, uh, Oh, that word doesn't even come close to describing it (laughs) to people who are like, "Uh, uh, uh, maybe like he understands that it is really serious. And like, I feel like that's such a, a, like a big slap in the face for somebody who has seen, seen it. Yeah, if you've experienced loss as a result, that would feel very yeah. frustrating. Yeah. I don't know what the word Allie asked a real good question. Shout out to Allie. Uh, she said, doesn't everyone at this point know someone who has had COVID? Yeah. I think that a lot of people do, but they don't think that it's as serious as, hey, yeah. go in your house and don't come out. Like, it, they think it's like the flu, and we don't stay in our houses for the flu. So I think they equate it in that way. I mean, I know enough people now who have died. Yeah. Where it's, that's, you know, and my mom's all like tied up in Costa Rica and protected and safe, but then somebody had a party and now 10 people in her building have it and she's on lockdown now. Right. So everybody just. It comes around. It does. Danny asked a good question. What do we do with family members who believe this is a hoax and don't believe in wearing masks and social distancing? I am dealing with that myself. Yeah, what do you do, Suze? I mean, we are applying boundaries, but it's really hard because if you love someone, um, it feels hurtful mm-hmm. to them. Yes. And they but, think you're crazy. Sometimes healthy boundaries do feel like that. Yeah, it's basically like, Okay, so you know how I think COVID is the great clarifier and whatever was existing before just gets bigger. It's like that. So you probably needed the boundaries with these people before. Yes, that is (laughs) excellent, excellent point. But this just makes it more urgent and more obvious. Yes. hard. What? I always say with boundary setting, and this does work, you can think of it kind of like a mobile and you know how, like, you know, there's strings hanging off the little mobile, like, and when you change, you adjust and you set boundaries and you say, like, we're not going to do this or we're going to do this. You adjust your string on the mobile. And what that happened, what it does is it makes it all of a sudden wonky, wonky. So you have to wait until everybody else adjusts theirs or it's going to feel a little wonky. And that is the hard part to just understand that the imbalance is because until other people kind of change. But if you do it with kindness, I don't think, I mean, how bad can it be? I don't know. Um, Okay. People who are, who I think, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, we've always talked about, you know, of course your family is family, but then you can also choose your family and you can choose the people who, you know, you are going to spend time with that, like follow the rules and do the right thing. And, Luann wants to know if I have wine in this gigantic mug. Of course I do. 
No, what if I was like, it's straight tequila? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm drinking out of one of our brain candy magic mugs that only is, gets super exciting when it's warm. <laughs> and it's just water. And uh, so it's so just it's a not black exciting. mug for now. But if it were hot, it would say brain candy on it. Oh, God. Okay, so the next clip is, oh, I wanted to know, because um, Larry spent 10 or 12 years in India working on the smallpox epidemic, uh, pandemic, and I wanted to know if his experience living in another culture and traveling had an impact on his life. Obviously it has, but I just wanted him to articulate that. Mm. So let me find that clip. Gosh, he traveled so many cool places. Number four. Here we go. And play. Given that so much of your work early on was international, it was in India and elsewhere, um, I wanted to ask you, since the theme of the Pitt event is uh, about, it's for International Week, I wanted to ask you how you felt being exposed to different cultures and traveling had had an impact. Did it have an impact on who you are as a human being and or your work? Yeah, it changed me completely. Um, but, but before we talk about that, <clears throat> let me mention that um, 10 years ago, before this coronavirus had emerged, even before SARS or MERS, had emerged um, at Pitt, at the School of Public Health, there was a dean uh, whose last name was Burke, and he predicted that the next um, uh, pandemic would be a coronavirus. And uh, he then became the of. Uh, it's very funny because it became the um, Pittsburgh uh, Center for Biosecurity. But it was located in Baltimore. Don't ask me how this stuff. <laughs> That's classic <laughs> Pittsburgh. <laughs> That's funny. But uh, we owe him a great debt of gratitude wow. for having the foresight um, of seeing that uh, no one had really thought of a coronavirus as a human disease prior to that. We thought of it as an animal disease, which it mostly is. So uh, going back to your question about globalism and world travel, I, I lament the fact that I could be a hippie uh, on a psychedelic bus, go to a Pink Floyd concert in, uh, in Glastonbury and then drive to Kathmandu. And along the way, uh, with 40 other hippies, um, <laughs> paint job on our bus that I could live in Iran, Iraq, uh, Pakistan, Afghanistan, go up into the mountains of Afghanistan, and then live for 10 years in India. And and my children will not be able to have that experience. Oh, and th those countries have become radicalized, um, with the exception of India, maybe Pakistan. They've become radicalized uh, in part by the Western powers, colonialism, neocolonialism, you know, all those factors. It's not just, of course, it's not just what the Western powers did. It's, did, it, it's also the fight of, of great religions. Um, it goes right back to Susie's entire training, understanding the tension between religions and religious theory in many ways. But that's watching that, learning about that um, is really important. 
That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. I just want to see pictures of him with, as a hippie with some He is super cute. I can imagine. And his wife as well. She used to be called Elaine, cool. but now she's called, I think it's Gurja. Um, cause they, she took on a, a different name when they were in India, but, um, like he's so freaking cool. Yeah. And normally with hippies, you associate them with like peace, love, dope and, you know, like slacker kind of mm-hmm. like the pot thing. Yeah. But he's the, in fact, um, yeah. we'll hear later how. His um, guru is sort of responsible for this all, but he doesn't go into it. But I'll tell you that this guru that he'll mention later basically said, Larry, he had a medical degree, but he was in India, like at a monastery, like meditating and being a hippie. And the guru was like, get on your, put your suit on and get to work. And I really give that guy credit for saying you have something that is special and you need to share your gift. And I feel that of all of us. That That gives me goosebumps, Susie. Each of us have these gifts and we ought to be using them, whatever they are. Yes. And I told Adam today that the thing that I feel when I feel hopeless is like, at least I have brain candy, that we can communicate to people and encourage them to vote, encourage them to do good yeah because otherwise it's sad you know think a little bit differently yeah Mm -hmm. and he is sort of my hero in that regard because he could have just saved that monastery and kept that tunic on and whatevs but he was like now i gotta get to work sometimes you gotta get to work yep Mm, what a calling right and i mean yeah i mean he has so many gifts so we can see what that amounted to. Um, the next clip sort of touches upon the same idea that we spoke about in a recent episode where it was like, I said that I feel like being in quarantine gave me a Christmas carol experience where I had the ghost of Christmas past and present and future. Mm-hmm. And then I could sort of make decisions about what I wanted to happen. And yeah. I feel like, that's what happened to Larry kind of too. Um, mm. Cause I asked him like, have you been reflecting on your life? Yeah. And all of that jazz. I wonder how old was he when that, when you think when he went to, because he was in, he said, he was 19- like 30. Wow. Okay. That would be, that would be around the time. Yeah. <laughs> like it. he was That's- young, but old enough to know that he had to do it. That's and he, right. When you decide you're like, Oh, this is my, you start to hear your calling. And in this clip, he talks about, he says the book, but he's referring to his book, Sometimes Brilliant, um, be, is being made into a TV show, which would be a great TV yes. show. And I wanted to ask him, who's going to play him? 
That's a great question. I know. And I couldn't ask him because, like, what if he got, like, nervous or what if he's, like, it's not going to be, like, me as the character? I didn't know. I what if like, it's, like, Steve Buscemi? <laughs> <laughs> Something like Who can we see playing him? <laughs> oh, let me think. Fun. It would have to be somebody who's young and, like, Oh, that's going to be fun. Yeah, I'm going to think about that. You're going to be good at this game. Uh, Let me play the clip. Number five. Let's find it. Susan, where's the clip? Okay. Here we go. But, yeah, you have lived Mm -hmm. some kind of life. I was saying saying to Sarah, like, it sounds made up, Lair. It and is. Now, do you, what is? Do you reflect on it now and think this was bonkers, or it's just like you're too close to the Monet, so you? Is, is it all over? Is that why I should? Be... Yeah. Is this your memorial? No, no. <laughs> I mean, because I feel this year has been a year of reflection. Like, mm. oh, so many of us are like reflecting on our life and taking stock in a way. So I imagined you were too. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we. Our house does a lot of Buddhist meditation. We, you know, we live one foot in the spiritual world. So we do a lot of different religious practices and study a lot of different religions uh, uh, and spiritual traditions. So you're always doing uh, that kind of self-reflection. But I don't do it with the historicity that I think um, may, may it may seem. Um that book is being made into a television series, uh, which I guess will give me a chance to go, yeah! Oh, my God. For real? <laughs> so I, 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 it was hard enough to have a book come out with my name on it, let alone uh, to have um, a television series come out. But uh, that'll be, you know, it. If that ever gets finished, as TV series as I want to do, many of them get started, not so many get finished, uh, that'll be interesting. Um, no, I think that the the elements of what career makes you happy, what is fit for you, how do you find your destiny, your calling? We used to call it in the, in the Christian tradition, we used to call it your calling. Um how do you find that? Uh, is that something that finds you, which I think would make more spiritual sense? Um, I was really lucky uh, because I didn't even know of epidemiology. Probably couldn't have pronounced it when I was in college. Um, when I went to medical school, if I ever learned about smallpox, I don't remember ever learning about it in medical school. Um, and these are not things that I would have done on my own if I hadn't met a, a wise man, a guru, a teacher, uh, and have him uh, point me in this direction. Actually, point me in this direction, kick me in the butt, toss me yeah. off, the, put me on a butt, you know, all of those things. It wasn't just a... <laughs> it, it wasn't like Junipo Serrera just pointing, there, there's a nice place, go there. I'm glad you were open to it to the kick in the pants or whatever it took. We're all so grateful that you went yeah. along with it. Well, yeah, the, the, it, he was a pretty good kicker. <laughs> I need a kicker. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I like hearing him talking about, like, finding your calling. Sarah, how- right? 
What do you I, think, though? What, you asked the question to them. What do you think? I was asking, uh, is it something that finds you or do you find it? And... I think it can go either way. I was going to say maybe yeah. sometimes it's hard to even know what, like, if you listen to it at a different time, you know, like, it almost feels like it found me when I, if you were to ask me when I was younger, but now it almost is like, now I feel like I made a decision and I'm here because I found it. You said yes like, to it. Yeah, I said, oh, my God, are we a church right now? That's it. It's true. It comes knocking, you got to say yes to it. Just like he did and just like, <coughs> oh, I got tickled. Just like he had the, the um, you know, Buddhist, uh, what would we even call him? Like spiritual guru. His guru, yeah. His guru say, you need to put on the suit and you need to go do your job. Wow, that's crazy. Which is like the opposite of what you'd think. Well, and sometimes, don't you think, like, we know? Yes. But, like. Sometimes it means we actually have to, like, do the work. I was like, yeah. Oh, now I have to go to grad school. Now I have to get 3,000 hours. Oh, it's going to take forever. But yeah, it's I know not always the easy road. It's not. But the easy road, I say this sometimes with clients, that I kind of, I use the analogy of, uh, like, going sledding. Like, when you go sledding and you're climbing up a hill to go sledding down, you have to, in order for it to be a really fun ride, you have to climb up sometimes a really tall hill. And you, like, the harder the climb, the more enjoyable and more fun the ride down is. And if you were just to, like, quit halfway and be like, eh, it's too hard, you wouldn't get the good fun ride. And that's the sense I get from Larry is certainly not that his path is easy, but that it's so rewarding. Yes. And it's so fulfilling that it's okay. And it's all yeah. worth it. And it steadies him. And that's what I, I think we all crave. Yes. Mm. But I do think that was such an important point that he brought up. And like how, like the importance of mentors too. That person that does kick you in the butt and say yeah. like, come on. Come on. You yeah. need to go out and do something you might not really yeah. want to do. Yeah. Because if that guy didn't tell him that, he might not have done that, and smallpox wouldn't have been freaking cured. And if that guy, and even before that, we have to put ourselves out there and kind of expose ourselves to those things. I heard recently that this, like, rule of thirds, where you want to spend a third of your time with people who are less fortunate or have, like, less to, like, you can offer them something, you want to spend a third of your time with people who are kind of like in the same boat and can you guys can kind of like vibe together and then a third of your time with people who are going to push you or enlighten you or teach you a thing Kick you two. in the pants. Kick you, kick you in the pants. Yeah. There you go. It's great advice. Okay. Yeah. So the next um, clip is when I forced Larry to tell Sarah a story about one of his adventures. This was before he went to India, before he worked for the World Health Organization. Um, And he had an adventure already. Let's see. I believe. Okay. But, yeah, you have lived Mm -hmm. some kind of life. I was saying to Sarah, like, 
It sounds made up, Lair. It and is. Now, do you, what is, do you reflect on it now and think this was bonkers or it's just like you're too close to the Monet? So you don't... Is, is it all over? Is that why I should be? Yeah, is this your memorial? No, no. <laughs> I, I mean, because I feel this year has been a year of reflection. Like mm. oh, so many of us are like reflecting on our life and taking stock in a way. So I imagined you were too. Yeah, I mean... Uh... Somebody said they can't see the video. Is that everyone or just Katie? Sarah, can you see it? Huh. I think uh, I think that it might be the there's just like a little lo- there's like a little notice. So I guess I think if you click on that video, um, you can like re- remove the little notice on your. It just like got, there's like something. Me, Susie. Yeah, I don't know why. If you if, try uh, clicking on that video from your desk desktop. Uh- and I think they, you know, they say do, that this one is one. Our house does a lot of Buddhist one, meditation. We heard, we we, you know, we live oh. one foot in the. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's so weird. Yeah. So I think it'll be the next one. Oh, I see. Okay. Let me try this one. Um, okay, wait. I wanted you to tell okay. Sarah about it. Yes. I don't think she cool. knows. It was in your book, I believe, where you talked about going to Alcatraz. Mm-hmm. And I wanted you to tell this story to Sarah because I wanted her to see her reaction. So go ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love a story. <laughs> um, so I was doing my internship in San Francisco. Um, this is 1969. You were not born yet. <laughs> uh, so this is ancient history. Uh, it might have been 1970 by then. Uh, we Internships begin the 1st of July, so... I think it had become 1970. And um, I had been active in the anti-war movement. And, um, but the, uh, w- one of the elements of the anti-war movement that hadn't yet come, hadn't been so well known, is that a group of Native Americans searching for their own identity, their own culture, took over Alcatraz Island. And they, the reason they took it over was that among the many treaties with Native Americans that we broke was the Treaty of Laramie, Mm -hmm. which was the foundational treaty between Native Americans and um, white eyes, as we were called. Uh, And that foundational treaty said that uh, the new colonialists will take over Native lands, but if ever they are not being used, if they're being disused, they immediately revert back to the Native American tribes from which they came. We signed that treaty. Three presidents signed that treaty. So, of course, we broke that treaty. And we broke it very visibly uh, in the case of Alcatraz Island, because after it was decommissioned as a prison island, um, we didn't give it back. We just kept it sitting there and did nothing with it. And the Native Americans who should have owned it made petition after petition. You're allowed to petition for redress against your government, and they were ignored. So a group of Native Americans took over Alcatraz, and they they held it for over a year. During that period of time, Nixon was president, and he threatened all sorts of harsh uh, things. He got the Coast Guard to do a embargo around the island to quarantine it, so no food, no medicine, no doctors, it legally could oh. come to the island. Well, of course, that meant that every hippie and every rock musician came to the island. So, Heck yeah! <laughs> uh, 
fluffy St. Marie. I was just going to say, this island is sounding better and better yeah. by the second, as you describe it. <laughs> it's fair to say that in the late 1960s, the best music in the world could be heard. Oh. <laughs> Um, and San Francisco, which is hop, skip, and a jump. You got all those guys. You know, uh, all those musicians in San Francisco um, lent their voice. Not only that, but all the elite um, sailing clubs and yacht clubs. Wow. And not letting doctors and medicine come to the island was a crock of shit. So they used their elaborate yachts to run run the, um, the Coast Guard quarantine and by the way, the Coast Guard was also in favor of the Indians. And a poll that was taken at that time, it would have been 90% Indians, 10% Nixon. <laughs> um, along the lines, one woman, uh, Lee Trudell, who with her husband were some two of the many leaders of that, uh, her pregnancy had advanced and she was nearly nine months pregnant. Uh, this would have been her third child. And she wanted to give birth to this child on Indian-held land, uh, a very deep emotional tie to the land. Um, and uh, there was no water. There was no electricity. There were no doctors. There was no uh, medical care. And a San Francisco columnist named Herb Kane, who was well-known in those days, um, he kept on writing in his column, what are we made out of that there's no doctor willing to go out on the island mm. to help? Uh, with her delivery, that there's no medicine. What kind of people are we? A, a challenge of the moral fiber of, uh, of Americans dealing with what seemed like a pretty reasonable request of a woman to give birth on the place yes. that she was living. Um, and after about six weeks of this, um, and I said to myself, well, this is increasingly sounding like an advertisement for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh uh, and I lived on the island for several weeks leading up to the birth of this. Oh, my gosh. You were her main wife. <laughs> yeah. I, sh- I mean, doctor, but, you know. Oh, no, I, it, I was much more midwife than doctor. Yes, I feel like I like that's like the elevated title in this situation. That's and amazing. Named this child Wavoka, which is really important in the history of the relationships between Indians and non-Indians, non-Native people. Uh, Wavoka historically was the Paiute Sioux Indian medicine man who gave birth to the idea of the ghost dance religion, which had as an element of it that um, if you practice these chants and you practice this religion and you wore this garment, you would be impervious to the bullets of uh, the American army. And, of course, Sitting Bull and Geronimo were adherents of this ghost dance religion. And much of the, the war history the, between the, uh, the Native Americans and the U.S. cavalry were based on this bravery that, that uh, the Braves, the Indians, felt. Um, and so by naming this child Wavoka, they were incorporating the history of Native Americans. And, and Wavoka, when he died, he said, uh, and he had died just about 200 years before this event, an Alcatraz, he said, I will die and I will be gone for 200 years and I will circle the earth. Sort of like a Native American echo of Hindu reincarnation. Yeah. And he said that I'm back and I will, didn't use the word reincarnate, but I will return. And when I come the bad part of the white man's way will go and the buffalo will return. 
So this prophecy was all tied up in the birth of Wovoka on native land um, on Alcatraz. And I was there for it. And after the baby was born, uh, there was a lot of stuff that went on the island that would take longer than our yeah. our podcast to talk about it. <laughs> and it uh, but I came back in a Coast Guard um, uh, uh, boat, and when I came back, uh, it seemed like every television camera on earth was pointed in my face asking me, uh, what do the Indians want? And I'm from Detroit, Michigan. I had never met an Indian until I went out to Alcatraz. Um, but uh, some people from Warner Brothers saw me on television and uh, offered me a part of this movie, which was about hippies and rock concerts. So I became a rock doc. In a, oh, uh, my gosh. He's like Forrest Gump, but this better. Is like, yes. But, and real. <laughs> now, I haven't had enough chocolates, though. I need more chocolates. <laughs> That's all you need. That's all. Oh, my gosh. I love it. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Come on now. I mean, he delivered a baby during that time on that island. I'm like, it's bonkers. And then he and just reads the newspaper article and goes, yeah, I'm feeling like a call to action to do that. And then that was sort of the beginning. That's when, you know, then he went in, he was in that movie. Then he went to India and not, and it got even crazier yeah, after that. That really is like a calling then from that newspaper. And if he didn't answer that, it would have been all, wow, that's cool. I think it's cool that he's a mix, too, that he went and did that, and then the cameras were on him, and he didn't shrink and feel like, I'm a scientist or I'm a doctor. He was like, yeah, this is fun, too. And he could handle both sides Mm, of it. Um, I wanted to address a couple questions in our Q&A. Amber said, what advice would you give single ladies or fellas who would prefer not to die alone and want to find a partner? But, you know, pandemic, LOL. Mm. We were talking about this right before we started, actually. It's complicated, isn't it? It is. What's your advice, Sarah? Um, Well, I mean, I give, this is always my advice, is I say go on, find things that you like to do. And so explore, like explore your hobbies And so before we were talking about on a podcast about like the Sierra Club, I think things that are outside are really fun. Um, Because you could uh, do it safely. Yeah. Not it. (laughs) There's a lot of, of, I feel like if you, you almost have to change the direct, like change the way that you think about it. You know, instead of I'm going to go somewhere to find a person. It's like, I'm going to go somewhere to do something that I like to do. Yeah. And there may be another human there like, that I can, I like that. you know, because really that it, what it comes down to is like, we're, we ain't changing anybody, you know, everybody is who they are. So you got to find the person who's like, you want to change the least or who's like, just <laughs> as is like stock off the shelf is exact, is close enough 
to what you are willing. You're like, okay, I can deal with that. And, uh, you know, I always go like, find, what do you like to do? Because for me, it was like, I want to find somebody that I, I can camp. What do I like to do for my trips? I want to spend time in nature. I want to camp. I want to be outdoorsy. And I want to be able to like disconnect. I got to find somebody who wants to do those things because what is, what do I want my days off to look like, you know, down the road? So think about what you like to do. And Marcus wants to know in regards to what he said about travel, do you think the quote radical negative aspects of the countries he mentioned are newer or have they always been there? And because of how, Oh, and because of how connected the world is now, we are just more aware of it than it in the seventies. no, I don't think we're more aware of it. Well, we might be more aware of it, but these are new because of the nature of digital media Mm -hmm. and the way that misinformation, disinformation spreads digitally has changed and makes radicalization far easier. Yeah. I mean, I hear stories about my mom traveling all over the world in places that I don't think I would be able to go today. Yeah. That is how it is. And you kind of just have to, like I said, change how you do it, change maybe what you're seeking, what you're, you know, uh, there are some kind of like positives maybe you can even think that come from all of this, that maybe some places that uh, like the normal tourist destinations might not be the, the places on the list anymore. It might be some of the more, uh, like off the beaten path places, going and finding that like, I don't know, Airbnb in the middle of nowhere in Montana and connecting them that way by disconnecting. The next uh, clip was some of your questions that you submitted on our Instagram for Larry. Um, and I think he makes an important point about how prevention would be far more effective but we don't fund prevention because it's hard for people to conceptualize that and so we end up funding um cures instead and i thought that was really insightful so let's play that clip um okay wait i wanted you to tell sarah about because i don't think she knows thing again yes why do they keep doing that we don't want that we want this one hold on Let's try again. <clears throat> hmm. Okay, I think we've got it. Well, we asked our listeners to submit some questions. Will you indulge a couple, Larry? Okay, Sarah, you're up. All right. So um, this one... You know, I feel like it was kind of like insider information that maybe um, if you know, you know. But she asked, did you, through the Skull Foundation, which question mark, that was what I was going to ask you, what the heck is that, uh, (laughs) did see this pandemic coming and at this scale? So first question is, what the heck is the Skull Foundation for me? (laughs) And then for her, did you see this coming? Well, I am on the board of directors of the Skull Foundation and have been for 13 years. Um, Skoll Foundation was started by Jeff Skoll, who's a very dear friend and a wonderful man. He was the first president of eBay. Uh, He now owns, among other things, Participant Media, which has made some of the best movies you guys have ever seen, Mm -hmm. from 
you know, Lincoln and The Visitor, The Soloist, uh, mm. uh, won lots of Academy Awards. Um, and that's that's Jeff's heart and mind and vision. And um, the Skoll Foundation uh, gives every year, uh, has re- be- previously, it's, it's undergoing some changes now, uh, previously has given every year about five prizes or awards, each $1.5 million, uh, to social entrepreneurs who are working around the world to do good things, ending female genital mutilation, stopping HIV AIDS, working on climate change, working on pandemics. Uh, and every year until the, um, uh, until the pandemic, we would meet in Oxford for the Skoll Week and bring together the foundations and the movie companies and, you know, all the people that support these wonderful social entrepreneurs. And we're now doing uh, an expansive version of that. Um, and a lot of, and, and Jeff, of course, in his wonderful, amazing way, um, announced that he was going to give uh, hundreds of millions of dollars to help stop the pandemic. So we're actively engaged in trying to uh, use that money in the wisest uh, and fairest and safest possible way. Um, so the Skoll Foundation um, in 2000, so I was uh, vice president of Google, and um, I was running uh, Google.org, a philanthropy, and uh, I was on the board of Skoll, and Jeff offered me a job to start another foundation called Skoll Global Threats Fund. And one of the threats that we worked on was pandemics beginning in 2009. Um, So I think it's fair to say that Jeff was prescient, that he saw this. Uh, The movie Contagion came out of that. Jeff was the executive producer of Contagion. um, And participant was one one of the studios involved in making it. Scott C. Burns, the wonderful Scott C. Burns wrote it and Steven Soderbergh directed it. Uh, Many, many amazing people um but but jeff was the uh, one of the fa- one like many things it, it came out of jeff's heart and his mind um so that's the origin so when someone says did the skull foundation see the pandemic coming absolutely um and uh, and and continues to fund a group called ending pandemics skull is a major funder of it uh, run by a good friend of mine uh, mark smolinski and ending pandemics uh, works all over the world, um, trying to end the next one, of which there certainly will be, unless we do something um, pretty dramatic to improve public health and detection and response. Well, this question ties right in with that. And we had a listener ask, how can public health be elevated as a higher priority in better overall health care? You have an amazing uh, professor on the faculty of Carnegie Mellon, very close to where you sit. Um, his name, when I went to high school with him, was, was Barry Fischoff. His name is now Baruch Fischoff. Uh, he's professor of um, risk communications. And he has written extensively on this subject of how can public health uh, and how can risk, you, you know, we, we're, we're still evolving uh, from that same humanoid that worried about that you know, saber-tooth tiger, other risk. You know, we have a a reptilian brain that's gone away. But the ability to understand complex problems like climate change, an odorless, tasteless, invisible gas that's going to change the planet, or a virus, an unseen, tiny microbe that is, you you know, so small that you you could have 100,000 of them in your coffee cup and not know it. These 
is um, they're very complex. It, 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 it's hard for the human brain to understand how public health is able to prevent diseases with vaccines. Uh, and, and that is um, that there's never been a time when you got brownie points for prevention, even though your, your mother's told you what my mother told me, which is a stitch in time saved nine. Yes, she did say that. <laughs> Case of public health, a stitch in time saves millions of lives. Those are still hard things to understand. Mm-hmm. We don't fund public health the way we fund uh, medicine. Right. I think I've given uh, 20 uh, uh, you know, commencement speeches at medical schools over the years. I always begin by saying the proper role of a medical school is to be a department inside a school of public health. <laughs> I don't always get a lot of applause for that line. <laughs> That's the way it should be. We should yeah. be thinking about uh, the environment and then humans and then public health. Then we should be thinking about clinical medicine. Not the yeah. other. Um, right. It seems like it would make the stuff at the ver- that stuff at the very end that we are focusing on a little bit easier if we focused on maybe the root of the problem. But uh, let me give you another number just to put in your head. Uh, WHO has taken a lot of flack unjustly. Um, uh, they made mistakes, but nothing on the order that they have been accused of. Um, the budget for WHO. I would wager that the global budget for WHO for 220 countries that are members of WHO, its annual budget is probably less than the annual budget of the Philadelphia Health Department. So, uh, and its structure is insane. It has uh, a board of directors of countries who have to agree on things. Right. So... It's it's unfair to blame them when it is us who are not funding enough for right. global health. And right. Health and we're not putting that in as a priority. So if we are lucky and we get a new president, public health will be one of Biden's priorities. And he's surrounded by some really good advisors. So I hope that's the case. Ooh. And I have a question just for me. Because I am looking around Mm -hmm. and I feel like everybody else's background I see has a bunch of stuff that looks like it might be from all over the world, but is probably from Pottery Barn. (laughs) And I feel like yours are actually from all over the world. So do you have a favorite, like if you feel comfortable sharing, token, like travel memorabilia piece behind you that like you feel like sharing with us? Because I'm seeing any like, yeah, what's back there? I feel like there's so much <laughs> back there. Treasures. Yeah. It, it, you know, I have pictures of my guru. Uh, this is my teacher. Oh, I love that. Uh, Neem Kroli Baba, mm. that I lived with in India and who told me to go work on the smallpox program and yeah, said to me, smallpox yes. would be eradicated. It was God's gift to humanity mm-hmm. he because of the it. work of all the wow. People working on it, and that uh, God would lift this one form of suffering from the back of humanity. Mm. Um, and then I have cool. this here. Here's one that I really like. Oh, I was hoping you would pick that one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so this is uh, from Kathmandu. It was was made uh, out of the lost wax process. You can kind of see all the repose on the back. Oh of my it. gosh, that's gorgeous. I really like that very much. That's wow. Cool. 
Thank you. Oh my gosh. What a treasure. How cool is that? I would uh, play the next clip, which was what is in your trunk, but we've run over. So um, the answer is golf clubs, which we loved because it showed that he had balance and that he knows there's a time to be serious and and a time to play, which I think we all know at Brain Candy. (laughs) That's sort of our thing. That is our, our motto. So that was really cool. And I'm so glad you asked him about those items because that was really special. I wanted to see every single one, and I was hoping. I'm like, he wouldn't have made it so you could see him in the camera if he didn't want people to maybe check him out. So Yeah. Oh, it was, and that was the exact one I wanted him to show me because I totally have the one that is like the knockoff from Potter Barn of that. So And that's okay, too. Right, totally, because I'm like bringing the vibe, the feel of that since I can't be there make it feel like that was some buddha statues and stuff but i really felt honored that he spoke with us and yes oh so many story. stories and i know we need to wrap up so i wanted to say a few thank yous yeah and i'm really excited that i didn't cry throughout this whole thing so i might now you you never know because it's very moving get emotional about every time we come and do this event Susie always has like a warm special place i was telling my boyfriend day i'm like i'm so nervous he's like why you're never nervous i'm like i know because this is an important one and this is like pittsburgh and this matters yeah but this is like extra important it's super special so i wanted to of course thank the university of pittsburgh for having brain candy again um thank you to usis for facilitating it um I have a whole list. Um, oh, the English Language Institute at Pitt, of course. Um, and Larry Brilliant for taking time. You can imagine how busy he is right now. Um, thank you to the scientists. <laughs> what if? What if I was like, thank you to the scientists, the that, doctors. Like, that, that's right up my alley to cry for stuff. No, like for that. real. The for first real, responders. Yes. People who read and who believe in science. Um, cause I feel like a lot of people are disheartened right now. So I just want to encourage them to not give up mm-hmm. the vaxxers, not the anti-vaxxers. <laughs> yes. You know, yes. people who are open to new information, who can think critically and, um, you know, the brainiacs out there. Yes. Thank you. Don't give up. Please vote. Mm-hmm. Don't stop learning. And, uh, of course, thank you, Rob. I know Rob has a couple things he wants to say. I think he's given away goodies so he can, um, come back and do that. But for real, I just, for me, Larry represents all the people who are committed to learning and understanding the world and the people within it. And that's real special. And thank you, Susie, for your wonderful interviewing and amazing questions and for bringing Likewise, you did, like, what's in your trunk in his office. <laughs> really selfish the question to ask. <laughs> Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. 
New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.